we have a calling. And that calling is found in Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles with you, go and open there. And guess what? There's also a calling of all of the kids' leaders. And they're calling the kids to go out that way right there. So all my K-5 through fifth graders, your calling is to follow them that way. We have a calling. I want to thank you for being here on this last Sunday of April. And it is the third Sunday since we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, but the primary focus of Easter was three weeks ago. This week, I sat down at my computer and I laid out what the rest of the gospel project was going to look like for us as a church, and that goes all the way until basically March of next year. And so I typed that out for what the kids are going to be doing. I typed that out for what we're going to be doing. And I began to look at what the gospel project has brought us through and what it's going to take us to. Because the gospel project, if you've been with us, is a three-year uh, hike through the Bible. And it takes the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to Jesus. And it shows that God had a redemption plan from the very beginning. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, that Jesus is woven all throughout it. Then we got to the Gospels, and in the Gospels we took time to dive into the life and the teachings of Jesus, which led us to what we celebrated three weeks ago, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, from here on out, for the rest of the Gospel Project, it all is the New Testament that points back to who Jesus is. And I will tell you there's an overall theme throughout the rest of the New Testament, and that is this. It is you and me, the church, living out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, being unified through the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, being sent out with the gospel to take it to other people's lives, and even press on, even when we come across opposition. And guess what? We will come across opposition. If you haven't yet, it's on its way. And that's going to cause us to choose. See, on Tuesday nights with our youth right now, we're doing a study through the book of Daniel. And if you know anything about the book of Daniel, most people know at least the big stories in there, like the lion's den, like Rackshack and Benny in the fire. And, and that's what we talked about this last Thursday. And really the question with Rackshack and Benny was this. They chose to live their lives for God in opposition to the way the world was challenging them to live their lives. And it led us to a question. Are you willing to lay down the things that help you fit into this world in order to fall in line with what God wants you to do? It's a question we all have to answer. It's a question we all have to walk through. Will we live a life for God? Will we live a life on mission? On mission for God. See, we live in a culture that dictates the cultural norms. But, kingdom citizen, sorry, but as kingdom citizens, we know that God's truths are real and they can turn the world upside down. See, culture is going to tell us, be first. God is going to tell us, the last will be first and the first will be last. Culture says, step over others to exalt yourself. God says, humble yourself and be exalted. Culture says, do whatever you want to do to make you look best. God says, take the worst seat at the table instead of the best. Culture says, your life is what's most important of all things. Your first. God says, consider others better than yourselves. Culture says, always get and always do what you want. 
God says, die to your own desires. Culture says, take care of yourself first and foremost. God says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you see a contradiction here between what culture says and what God says? Culture says, no one tells you what to do. God says, you go further than what you're even asked. That is culture versus God. See, in God's kingdom, the true fulfillment that we have is found in our sacrifice. In God's kingdom, true identity is found when we lose ourselves in Christ. In God's kingdom, our deepest questions are actually answered outside of ourselves, not you have to find yourself. That's what we have to understand. See, the ultimate aim of our life is to bring glory to God because every single life that is in God is a life that is on mission. And what is our mission? We talked about the first part of it last week. Evangelism, John chapter 20, Mark chapter 16. Go into all the world and make disciples. Actually, that's what we're going to talk about today. Evangelism is going to all the world and preach the gospel. So we have two sides. We have the discipleship side that we're going to talk about today, and we have the stuff we talked about last week with evangelism. And a lot of times, people think there are two different programs within the church. A lot of people think there are two different things that we need to either focus on evangelism or focus on discipleship. But the reality is, they are two sides to the same coin. And they're not programs within the church. They are the mission of the church. So if you have your Bibles open, I ask you to open up to Matthew chapter 28 up front when the kids were on their way out. We're going to be reading five simple verses. And I say simple because they're easy to read because there's no hard words in them. They're absolutely not simple to follow. They're a difficult choice for each and every one of us, but one that we must make. Here's what it says starting in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. I'll be reading from the CSB today. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word, and thank you for this command. And I pray today you are already prepping our hearts for what we need to choose to do next. We pray it in your name. Amen. As followers of Christ, we have been called to make disciples of Jesus. And we've been called by Jesus to do it. The reality is discipleship is hard. It is messy. It is inconvenient. And it is uncomfortable. I'm not a salesman. I'm not trying to sell you on discipleship, obviously. Because what the world's going to try and sell you is something completely opposite. It actually butts heads with discipleship. See, the world's going to tell you, you need to find something easy to do, clean to do, convenient to do, and comfortable for you to do. So are you going to choose God's hard, messy, uncomfortable, inconvenient, or are you going to choose the world's opposite? We have to choose, but we can't choose both. So what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose today? Maybe like, or like me, you need just a little bit more information to make a choice that literally is life-altering. So what I want to do is I want to start out with a question. Before we dive into following Jesus and all the stuff that he's commanded us to, I think we have to ask the question of what? What is a disciple to begin with? What is a disciple? If Jesus calls us to make them, we should probably know what one is, and we should also know if we are one to begin with, right? So what's a disciple? By definition, a disciple is a learner. 
It's a learner who is teachable and who is disciplined. I love this next part of the definition, an adherent. It's like tape. Somebody who sticks with it. That is what a disciple is, and the goal of the disciple is to become like his teacher. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, these words, the disciple is not above his teacher, but every fully trained will like his teacher. That tells me that a disciple is to strive to be like Jesus. Honestly, it's not a coincidence that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, when God's redemption plan is being laid out, Paul says these words, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus, so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Honest question that deserve, deserves an honest answer. Is that your goal? Is that your goal? Are we having the goal in our lives to be more like Jesus, or do we have the goal in our lives to be more like what we want to be? That's where our motto, come as you are, be changed, go change the world, comes from. See, that come as you are, that first one, it's easy. At least the easiest part of the three. Come as you are, just walk in the door. However you are, however messed up you are, however perfect you think you are, just come in the door. But the second part is be changed. And that means be changed to be more like Jesus. And then go change the world, go change the world to be more like Jesus. That's a little bit more difficult. And that's where we find ourselves today. That be changed helps us understand that discipleship comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. The first thing I wrote down is that Jesus has to come first. Jesus has to come first, which means everything else comes second. Is that a hard concept? To say no, to do yes. And you're going to see that throughout today's message. To say things, no problem. To do it, much more difficult. Everything else has to come second. Luke 9 actually says you come second. Luke 14 says, your family comes second. Second thing I saw is that you must be willing to suffer. If you continue on in Luke chapter 14, it says you better count the cost. He also says when you're counting that cost, understand that I'm not looking for a crowd. I'm looking for followers to be my disciples. I don't care how many people pack into a church on a Sunday morning. He says, I want people to be my disciples, and even more so, I want to change them where they go and make disciples. He wants to see change in us. He wants to see more of him in us. But what does that change look like? Well, there's verses throughout Scripture that really point to this. John 8, 31 is the first one I saw. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue, or if you look at our theme from yesterday, remain in him or abide in him, if you continue or abide in my word, you really are my disciples. So that's what it looks like to abide. And we've talked about this word a lot, to remain, to continue, to stay in his word. And the book of James actually takes it to a whole other level, not just to stay in his word, but to be doers of his word. Put that word into action. John 13, 34, and 35 says these words, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So he says, abide in him, abide in his word, abide in his teaching, and that teaching includes living out, loving one another. Then we tie all of those together in John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, once again, that we talked about yesterday with the kids. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains or abides in me, and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. By the way, don't misinterpret that verse. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Produce much fruit. Bear much fruit. If you put Jesus first, if you are willing to suffer for him, if you abide in him and in his word and love one another, then the result is going to be this thing called spiritual fruit, which is disciples coming through us because of Christ in us. It kind of sounds like our motto, doesn't it? Come as you are, be changed and then change that world. Be changed to be more like Jesus. Go change the world to be more like Jesus. We need to understand that Jesus has commanded us to make disciples. Jesus has commanded us. It's not a suggestion. It's not something that we need to go, you know, that's kind of an obscure thought of what he said. It might be a parable we have to try and figure out. See, when he says, go, therefore, and make disciples, you know what he's actually saying? He's saying, go, therefore, and make disciples. It's funny, I've shown this video a handful of times when I've talked about discipleship, but it's one of those videos that just nails itself, or nails the, the topic on the head. It's a guy by the name of Francis Chan. Many of you have probably heard of him before, but he had a little conference that he talked about disciple making, and I just want to share it with you real quick. Would you run that for me, Corey? When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is... Uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, you, you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense, a lot of the things we do. When he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. If I just started with scripture, what if we did that? What if we just started with scripture instead of trying to tie all of our own things into it? We would go and make disciples. See, discipleship making is an intentional process. We have to go. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen just because we meet in a building or we're watching online and we invite somebody to it. Discipleship making doesn't happen in that way. Jesus says, go. And as we are going, we talked about this last week, we evangelize non-believers. 
We share the gospel with non-believers. And some people, like I said, think that these are two different things, but they work together so perfectly because as we evangelize, we take that next step to help them grow in Christ. See, after Jesus ascended, we read in the rest of the New Testament, we talked about it already, we talked about the church united in mission. We talked about them sent out to the culture around them to evangelize to them. Not just going to a foreign mission field, but where they're at in their everyday life. And when they did that, they proclaimed the gospel and they called these people to obedient to follow Christ or, or to be obedient in following Christ. And then they taught them to obey that Jesus had commanded them these things and then they would baptize them. Some went to new areas and they would do the same there. That's why we're sitting here today. You know that, right? It's because they were willing to follow Christ's command. They took Jesus' command seriously and literally. And really, it makes sense they would do that, wouldn't it? I mean, because they knew that's what Jesus did. Jesus set the example, and then they followed it. You know what that is? Discipleship. It's really not super difficult. If I've used this illustration before. My kids are Packers fans, not because they were born in Wisconsin, I'm not even a Packers fan because I wasn't born in Wisconsin. It's because it was a family lineage of you better do this or else. And there was a period of time in the 80s when it was kind of the, I would rather take the or else because they were terrible. But that is discipleship. It is letting people follow your example. We go out and we set the example and they follow us. The question is, is why is there so little discipleship in the church today? See, I don't think anybody sitting in this room, I don't think anybody sitting in any church said or believes that Jesus said, all you have to do is this first century church. They're the ones that have to do it. The 21st century church, they get a pass. They get to do it differently. They get to do what they want to do. See, I don't think anybody actually believes it, yet that is how we live it. We have this tendency to think that the paid guys get to do the ministry and the rest of the people, they just show up they sing a few songs. They do some motions to every day he's with me. We, we just walk through. We put some money back in the box. We click the link to give online. We, we leave the building or we turn off the TV and we feel this word called fed or inspired. And then we call it an experience that we hope to have a better one that we can outdo next week. We've moved so far from Jesus' command that I think a lot of people who call themselves Christians have no clue. No clue what it means to be a disciple and even worse yet, how to make one. And, and that's why I find myself here. Let me tell you this. It isn't just some eight-week process that goes on in a church. It's not some book that we go through and then we can check off the great commission off of our list. It is a lifelong mission. It is the mission of our lives. We are literally defined by be changed by God, be changed by Jesus, and then go change the world for Jesus. That is our definition. That is what Christianity is. But what does it look like? He says, first, go, and then he has two more verbs. He says to baptize and to teach. Let's look at baptize first. See, baptism may not seem like that big of a deal. I talk to way too many Christians that haven't even done it yet, have never been baptized. But in the early days of the church, the baptism was huge. 
It was huge. See, baptism was that unmistakable act that you are a person that is now in line as a follower of Christ. You are now changed. Jesus died and he was buried into the earth. Just like you at the beginning, you were dead and you were buried underwater. And then Jesus raised again. And just like that, we are raised again. He had a new body. We have a new life. That is the meaning of baptism. And when the first century Christian took that step of identifying Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, they were literally declaring their allegiance to Jesus. Immediately, that marked them for martyrdom. All the hostility was pointed towards Jesus. All the hostility was pointed towards his followers was now on you. But baptism said, my old life is gone. And my new life, my new identity, my new priorities are now centered on Jesus and his mission. That was a problem for the unbelieving world. And guess what? That still is a problem for the unbelieving world. And we may not see that same reaction of possible martyrdom when we get baptized. Although, if you ever read things like Voice of the Martyrs or listen to their podcast or an organization like that, you'll see in many third world countries, many Middle Eastern countries, even into China, that people who have decided to be baptized to take that step, at the very least, it means excommunication. At the very worst, it meant death. That's a pretty significant step. And maybe that's why some of us don't do it. But the reality is the act of identifying with Christ is essential no matter where or when you live. So that's the baptism part. And then you take the teaching part. This teaching part, like baptism, is more significant than we might think. Because teaching others to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Can I just ask you, do you know all that Jesus has commanded? No, I don't even know all that Jesus has commanded. Every day I'm learning new things. As I read, as I study. Well, because of that, because of that in your life, it's not like, oh, I learned it all, check. That's not the way it works. It's a life long process and it takes lifelong devotion to studying the scriptures and then investing in the people that are around us and neither of these things like i said are something we can just check off the list it's something that's never really done it's a a constant process it's kind of like raising a child it's like raising a child even though there's going to become a day when your child is old enough to be on their own the relationship doesn't end right Some of the dynamics may change, but there's always going to be time for guidance and encouragement that are still needed. That's the same thing with discipleship. And of course, there's always going to be people that God is going to bring into your life for fresh new opportunities to begin this process all over again. So, we're following Jesus, and we're making disciples. It's not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to apply. It's going to be costly. See, many of Jesus' teachings are hard to swallow. Is there anything that Jesus has said that you just kind of went, hmm, I think we could have a discussion group that could last hours and hours and hours. There are things that Jesus says to us and challenges us to do that we're like, I just would rather cherry pick the love things out. I just rather cherry pick these things out. And if I'm going to make disciples, I want them to do that too so it'll work better that way. Because when we hit the hard ones, we're probably going to get rejected if we're trying to teach that to somebody else. But guess what John 15 says? We already read the first part of John 15. Guess what the rest of it says in John 15 starting in verse 18? If the world hates you, 
understand that it hated me before it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but have been chosen, I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if you kept my word, or if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. Again, easy to read, easy to explain, difficult for me to put into practice. I don't want anybody to hate me. I want people to like me. I don't want that against me. And I think that's the reason why so many people say, you know what, I'm just going to choose not to make disciples. I'm just going to choose not to do this and just leave it to the pastors and leave it to the elders. And yes, the pastors and the elders and even the apostles in the New Testament, it was their job to make disciples. But it wasn't their job alone. The church understood that the fact that discipleship is everyone's job. The members of the early church, or even as we call it, the early faith family, they truly were family, and they took their responsibilities to make disciples seriously. To them, the church was a body that only functioned properly when everyone was doing their part. And you know what? The church still is a body that only functions properly when everybody's doing their part. Look what it says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And if he himself gave himself or gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Skipping down to verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper workings of each individual part. It's all of us working together. The pastors and the elders, it says, are the equippers. And the church as a whole, including the pastors and the elders, they do ministry together. Can you imagine if that were the case in the church across the globe? Can you imagine if everybody was doing their part? What would be the ramifications? What would the results look like? And the thing is, we all know this. We all know this part of it all. If you've been in the church long enough, you know we are part of the body. The hand doesn't do the same thing as the foot. But we all do what we are called to do. But we have excuses. But some of them are really good excuses. However, when I read what Jesus has commanded us to do, I saw no exception clauses. I didn't see anything that said, follow me unless you're too busy or too scared. I didn't see, follow me unless you have better things to do. I didn't see, love your neighbors unless you don't like them or don't feel prepared. If you want to see how Jesus responds to excuses, go over to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It's pretty eye-opening to how he responds to excuses. Jesus has made you who you are. He's put you where you are, and he's given you everything you need to accomplish the task of making disciples. God is in the business of changing lives, and aren't you glad that he's letting us be a part, to be a tool to be used for him to do it? The question I have for you today is this, is whom has God placed in your life that you can teach to follow Jesus? Is it somebody within the church? Is it somebody outside the church? It doesn't really matter. 
The thing is, is we build a relationship with them, we share our story, and then let it go from there. This is the calling we've been given, and I'll tell you what, there's not one that's more important that is out there. I love this quote. You've probably heard it before. I'll probably butcher it. Two of the greatest days in your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. The day you were born, the day you figure out why. You want to know why? To make disciples. That is the why. That is the why. To make disciples, to make followers of Jesus, not just converts to the Christian faith, not just steering the hell out of people, excuse the phrase, in that way. But we have a tendency to do it like that. That as long as we can keep them out of hell, we're all good. But we're not looking for converts. Jesus wasn't looking just for converts. And you might be, well, what's the difference between a convert and a disciple of Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. Converts are believers who live like the world. Disciples are believers who live like Jesus. Converts are focused on their values, they're focused on their interests, they're focused on their worries, they're focused on their fears, their priorities, and their lifestyles. Disciples are focused on Jesus. Thank you, yes, it's that easy church answer, okay? It's gonna be easy for you on this one. Converts go to church, disciples are the church. Converts are involved in the missions of Jesus, disciples are committed to the mission of Jesus. Converts cheer from the sidelines, disciples are in the game. Converts hear the words of Jesus, disciples live it. Converts follow the rules, disciples follow Jesus. Yes, good, all right. Converts are all about believing. Disciples are all about being. Converts are comfortable, disciples make sacrifices. Converts talk, disciples make more disciples. A disciple is someone who wholeheartedly follows the life an example of Jesus, who makes mission, his mission their mission, who makes his values their values, who makes his heart their heart. A disciple is also someone who seeks to be like Jesus. A disciple is someone who is so committed to the cause of Christ they would follow him no matter the cost. A disciple is someone who finds their entire identity in him, their entire purpose in him, their entire meaning in him. That is a disciple. Jesus is the center of their lives and they've gone all in to follow him. And not only is the disciple willing to decipher, die for Jesus, but they are dedicated to living every day of their life for Jesus. Christianity and Christ have been sold way too short, way too often. And like I already said, it's easy for us to understand, but not easy for us to do. But I don't think Christianity was ever supposed to be easy. Jesus calls us to make disciples. Jesus offers us grace without condition. Isn't that a beautiful thing? But not without expectation. He has an expectation. See, when we try to water down the message by saying things like, well, you don't have to give up sin. You don't have to change. You don't have to be transformed. You don't have to die to yourself. You just need to believe and everything's gonna be fine. When we do that, not only are we depriving people of the truth, we're also denying them access to the real transforming relationship with an almighty God. We can't do that. See, Christianity isn't just some system of belief. It's not even just some lifestyle. It is a life that is transformed by Jesus. We are to be disciples. We are to make a disciple. We're to have a Paul in our life. We're to have a Timothy in our life. We need people pouring into us, and we need to be pouring into others. Again, it is not a suggestion. It is a command. So I will leave you with this. Be a disciple, 
make that disciple. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to speak into our lives and challenge us to be more like you. And I know, God, there's times along the way that it is incredibly difficult to even think of having to give up something of this world to follow you. First and foremost, our own passions, our own desires, and our own life. But God, that's what you've called us to. To take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow you. God, we have so many different people in this room from so many different walks of life that have so many different careers or lifestyles or whatever it might be. God, I am asking you to speak to everyone where they are at, to challenge their hearts, to take that next step in following you. That God, we will take this seriously. That it isn't just some suggestion that we, as Francis Chan said, need to memorize and need to repeat back to you, but God, just to live it. Help us to make disciples. Point us to that person that we can pour into and even bring that person into our life that can pour into us. We pray in your name. Amen.